It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. And a great and a Saturday night in Las Vegas. Vegas. Welcome, Welcome on in. It's Heat Wave Sports, Sports, Fox Sports, Sports Radio, Radio, Las Vegas. Vegas. 98.9 98 98 FM, 13. Lee. Lee. Right, Tommy? Right, Tommy. The last, last couple weeks we've been, we've been off Saturday, Saturday on, on Sunday. Sunday. We're going to do the reverse, reverse this week. This week. We're, on We're on tonight. We're off tomorrow. But we got plenty to talk about tonight. I'm going to bring in my co-host, Tom Harden, TomBartonSports.com. Yeah, Tim, man, I, I got to tell you, the uh, sports world has a lot to talk about, but I, I'm not exactly psyched. I'm not exactly too happy, right? I mean, Major League Baseball's on a strike. Um, you know, you look at <laughs> what's going on in college football, more of the same nonsense, more of the same garbage that we're used to seeing. So we'll get into that. And you look at the NFL card tomorrow. You know, while we have a lot of divisional games and a lot of, uh, you know, battles inside division, a lot of big road favorites in division, which you rarely ever see. So while there's a lot to talk about, Tim, I am not in exactly a very good mood going into tonight's show. Well, it looks like we got the four that we think we're going to get. As Alabama wins the SEC, Michigan wins the Big Ten. Uh, Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati goes undefeated, goes undefeated right, Tom? right, Tom? So we'll get a, we'll get a, a non-power, non-power five, five for the five first for time. time. But didn't but Georgia, Georgia kind of just take the Alabama, Alabama role of you lose once and, once and you get into the playoff? Yeah, well, Georgia shouldn't be there. Um, I, I mean, it's just plain, plain to see. Look, we've been talking about how dominant Georgia has been all season, but they've been dominant in a conference that, let's just be honest, uh, is completely overrated. They've been dominant. Who, what, what's Georgia's biggest win of the year? Their biggest win of the year, Tim, is against Clemson in a game where Clemson didn't score a touchdown offensively, right? I mean, that's that's their biggest win of the year. And now you turn around and you want to grant Alabama. Alabama, the number one overall seed, when, it, look, let's just be we'll cut right to it. Auburn was an unranked team that should have won the game. They needed five overtimes or whatever, how many, three overtimes. They needed three overtimes to beat Auburn. And the only reason they were in that game, Tim, is because the Auburn quarterback was literally playing on one leg or else Alabama loses that game. Alabama lost a game to an unranked and a not very good Texas A&M team. They struggled all year long. They struggled against LSU. They struggled against Florida, a team in LSU and Florida, by the way, who both fired their coaches okay this is the alabama team that you're trying to tell me belongs to be in the college football playoff and deserves to be the number one seed no 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 tim i mean this is uh more shadiness more ridiculousness and what's even worse tim they're gonna screw michigan here put michigan number two so you get michigan georgia uh, you know, in the first round instead of Michigan getting Cincinnati because they want Georgia-Bama and they want that rematch. It was set up from the beginning. We knew it was going to happen. We knew it was going to take place. And it unfolded in front of everyone's eyes. And, and we've seen this before, right, Tom? The, the, the Alabama has taken advantage of the, the college football playoff. They get in somehow. They end up winning it. Tim, you know, the... the 
idea that, uh, you know, leaving the SEC out of the college football playoff is so out of people's minds, it's unbelievable. But I get that. Okay, I'm not going to sit here and argue that point tonight. That, that's not where I'm going. But the idea that anybody, I mean anybody in the country, can look themselves seriously in the eye and say Alabama deserves the number one overall seed over Michigan is laughable. Is laughable. At best, it's laughable. It's insulting to college football fans to put Alabama at number one. Michigan was the number two team in the country, humiliated Iowa in their game. They have one loss to Michigan State, which even Michigan State faithful will say, you know what, look, there was a lot of bad calls in that game, and we probably shouldn't have won that game. Michigan is the number one team in the country, and it shouldn't be questioned. Now, let me take a step back here, Tim. Because when I say Michigan is the number one team in the country, because they are the most deserving team. And people will point to, well, you know what, uh, Michigan's a nine-point underdog to Georgia. You're, you're right, they are. And maybe they won't win that game. But that doesn't mean they're not deserving of the spot. Alabama, I just laid out their schedule. I just laid out who they struggled against, who they didn't beat, what impressive wins they didn't have this year. You know, Michigan went out there, and they did what everybody didn't think they could do, and that was beat Ohio State. That was the game they should have absolutely vaulted them into the number one spot to never lose it. But they were sitting there at number two. I get it. Georgia was rolling. All right, not a problem. So Georgia was rolling. You beat Georgia on a neutral site. Hey, you beat them, and they beat them well. But how do you lose number two? How are you the number two team in the, in your, the country? You are sitting there at two, Tim. You go out there, and you beat the team you're supposed to beat. And you beat them up. You, you, I mean, they destroyed Iowa tonight. They were taking pictures, team photos on the sidelines with five minutes to go. They did everything that everybody asked them to do. And somehow or another, they're going to be get leapfrogged by an Alabama team that was you know, seconds away from losing the game against Auburn? Come on, Tim. This is ridiculous. There's no way that Michigan goes number one. No, no, the, the, the Lions actually are already out at FanDuel. The oh, Lions right now are actually out at FanDuel where Georgia's a nine-point favorite and uh, Alabama opens up as a 16-point favorite over Cincinnati. By the way, that will go up past 17. So, I mean, the writing's on the wall. Uh, you know, it, it's already decided because that, that's the thing, though, Tim. It's such a farce we don't even have to wait for them to announce it because we know <laughs> we know what's going to happen. We know that the SEC has their hands in this. We know that the SEC has this rigged, and they will set it up so there is a chance that it's going to be Alabama-Georgia, too. Mm-hmm. And doesn't the Big 12 just bite themselves in the ass every year, Tom? It's, you know, the Big 12 is uh, a, a position where everybody's railing on Oklahoma and Texas, Tim, for leaving. And I go, yeah, I kind of understand. You know what I mean? Look, you know, they're, they're mad that they're leaving. Everyone's upset that they're leaving. Oh, man, I can't believe, you know, that they – well, I get it because these, these things happen. Look, uh, I didn't think Oklahoma State should have been in the college football playoff. I didn't think that, you know, they were going to be that kind of team. But, man, they had that opportunity. And what a great conversation we would have had tonight if Oklahoma State would have went out there and Oklahoma State would have been – the winner, and Alabama did this to Georgia, who are you going to leave out then? And here's the sad thing. We know they weren't leaving out Alabama or Georgia. So it would have been probably Cincinnati from the outside looking in, and I, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, man, you know, if Oklahoma... 
Sounds like we dropped the feed from from Tommy there on that end. We'll look to get him back. Brian, if, if you can hear me, let's go ahead and just uh, take a quick one. We'll come right back with more Heat Wave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio. Back from our early timeout here on Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton on a Saturday night. As we take you up to the midnight hour, of course, we're going to talk NFL Week 13 in hour number two. Get you ready for that, give you our free plays. But before we were clean-feeded out of here, Tom, you were, you were going, you were about to start, I could feel it, you were about to start a rant about Cincinnati possibly being left out of this playoff had Oklahoma State found a way to, to win the Big 12 championship. Yeah, listen, if, if Oklahoma State would have won, and, and they were on the one-yard line, I mean, going in, right? If they would have won that game, there is no chance that you could have argued um, that Alabama or Georgia were not going to be in there. I mean, we just know that. So who's going to be left out? Would it be Cincinnati or would it be Oklahoma State? Well, one of them would be out from the outside looking in. And the reason why I know that, Tim, and the reason why we all should know that is because Notre Dame is looking from the outside in. Now, Notre Dame, okay, has gone out there and done everything that everybody's asked them to do. They lost one game, albeit at home, and I can't stand home losses, right? But they lost one game. They lost one game to a top-four team, an undefeated top-four team in Cincinnati. What is the difference between what Georgia lost to tonight, right? A one-loss one team at, in the four, right? Alabama and Georgia, Alabama has a loss to a not-top-25 team. They weren't top-25 then. Texas A&M didn't finish the top-25. Right, so why when you're looking at Notre Dame's schedule against Alabama's, Notre Dame had a hard schedule. Notre Dame had an important win over a decent Wisconsin team. Notre Dame lost to a power four team. Alabama did not. You then go and you look at a team like Michigan State, right? Michigan State, who I think is the number one team in the country. Well, they went out there. Their impressive win is Ohio State. That's better than anybody's in the country right now. That's the most impressive win. Uh, but they lost to Michigan State. Michigan State's not a top-four team as long as uh, I'm taking a peek here. Oh, no, oh, no, that's right, they're not. What about what about Georgia? Well, Georgia lost to Alabama was a top-four team, right? Um, but how much different is that than Michigan? See, so I would look at Notre Dame's schedule, and I'm not a Notre Dame guy, but I would look at Notre Dame's schedule and say, it's pretty much the same thing as Georgia, isn't it? I mean, they were destroying teams at the end. Stanford 45-14, Georgia Tech 55 nothing, Navy 34-6, Virginia 28-3. Don't tell me the competition was, was much worse because, look, they tried to schedule teams. They tried to put USC on the schedule. They tried to put North Carolina, who was supposed to be good this year, on the schedule. They did put Wisconsin in a neutral site game. It's not for lack of trying here what this team went out there and did. Notre Dame has every right to a top-four finish, and Oklahoma State would have had every right for a top-four finish that Alabama and you know Georgia do, except the idea that the SEC is so powerful, which we know that it's not, is just overwhelming. And now the DAC is stacked. The DAC is stacked because, you know what? It should be Michigan-Cincinnati this week, and we should be getting Alabama-Auburn or uh, whichever one of them you want to leave out. And that would be perfectly fine. But we're not going to get that. They are going to set this up so the SEC people could turn around and say, hey, look, we definitely have at least one, right? We have at least one, and we might have a chance at two going to the national championship. Well, here's the thing, Tom. We've been on the air 11 years. 
college football playoffs been around eight years, and this is the same discussion. I say at least six of the eight years we've talked about this. Well, it all started, look, it all began, you know, when the 108-year history of college football was broken and Alabama lost a game in their division at home, did not play in their SEC championship game. They didn't play in it, yet had a chance to go take on LSU and play in the national title game. That's what started the ridiculousness where everybody's eyes were opened up. And we say it in the beginning of the year when we're doing the preseason previews, and we say it all the time. The rules are just not the same for Alabama as they are for everybody else. And you can even maybe throw Ohio State in there, but you know what? This year it kind of showed us that you know, Ohio State does kind of play by the same rules. But Alabama, there were people arguing, Tim, that if Alabama had lost the game to Auburn and won the SEC championship, they should still go in. And you know what? They probably would have because the rules are not the same for Alabama and the SEC in general. The SEC, is, in the third week of November, used to be sacred, right? The third week of November used to be all, all the big-time matchups, all the big-time battles, all the, the divisional tough games. They're scheduling D2 teams, basically, all across the SEC. That's the SEC saying, hey, guys, take a week to get healthy, right? Because we got to gear you guys up for a late run, for a playoff run. It, the SEC, the money that they make, the connections that they now have with ESPN, with the connections that they, they bring in, it is just too powerful to stop. And it's not because that they're better than everybody else. It's just because the deck is rigged in their favor. And there is a difference here, Tim, between, and I want to make this a very distinct difference, because the argument you always bring up is when I go, you know what, they didn't deserve to be in there. Oh, yeah, but come on, you think that they're not going to win? Listen. I think Georgia and Alabama would spank Cincinnati. I think both of them are going to crush Cincinnati. That doesn't mean that Cincinnati is not deserving to be there. Because if we were just doing talent and all we wanted to do and talk about was talent and pure talent, then why play the games, Tim? Why not look at every recruiting class and say, okay, this, this team has the best recruiting class. You guys, you four teams, you guys have the best recruiting class. We're just going to put you guys out there. And here you go. You four teams battle it out. No, deserving has to be involved. You can't lose games to Texas A&M, an unranked top, not top 25 team, unranked team in the middle of the year. You can't then battle to three overtimes against a guy with a, you know, one leg and barely scrape by that and claim you're the number one team in the country. It's just ludicrous. And it's insulting to any college football fan. It's insulting for anyone to look any college football fan in the eye today and say Alabama deserves to be number one. Now, they might win the championship. They may be the number one team, Tim, but they don't deserve to be it today. Right, and we've had this this discussion, and, and there's been at least, at least Tom, three three or four times, I don't think we both agree they deserve to be the champion. They ended up winning. So the solution is, right, what they're working on is that if you expand the field, at least then the teams that were getting shafted get in and if they still win it, say I'm talking about Alabama, if they still end up winning it, right, Tom, then they just win it. But it, wouldn't that be the, the, the best solution you can come up with right now is you got to let more teams in? I, I guess so. You know, I've, I've said this, and I have, forget about the, the 
getting in and how many teams and expand the field and all of that. Because, look, I agree with you that the field needed to be expanded. I agree with you that it probably needs to be expanded further. But before you do that, Tim, you want to expand it to six, you want to expand it to eight, I'm okay with all of that. Tim, the number one rule that I want instituted in any college football format, if it's two teams, four teams, eight teams, 16 teams, I don't care. If you don't win your conference, you don't get to play for a championship. The end. I can't stand, you know, the idea that these teams go out there and, and <laughs> you go out there and you don't win your conference. Oh, Georgia is not the SEC champion, but they could be the national champion. We watched that happen with Alabama. They didn't win the SEC, but they won the national championship. How, how is this? How are we doing this? You know, and forget about you guys. That, that What about the Alabama fans that are going to obviously rip me apart here? By the way, go ahead. HW Sports over on Twitter or at Tom Barton Sports, right? The Alabama fans. Guess what, Alabama? I'm in your corner here. Here's, I'm the voice of the Alabama fan here. Because Alabama just showed everybody on national stage. They just beat down Georgia. And they dominated them in that game, didn't they, Tim? They absolutely spanked them. So, if it does get to a national championship, what if they lose to Georgia? What if they lose to him? Now, they're the SEC champion. We already beat you. We rightfully beat you. We, Alabama rightfully beat Georgia. Why does Georgia get a chance to avenge that loss? It's hard to beat a team twice in a year, right? I mean, it's just difficult to do that. And, oh, by the way, if they win there in the national champions, just like it happened to Alabama and LSU. That is what gets me is, you know, people look at it only from their perspective. This is the one time where you got to look at this and say, as a matter of fact, Alabama, you should be on my side. Alabama fans should be saying, Georgia shouldn't be in this thing. We took them out. And you know what they did? Alabama took Georgia out. Georgia shouldn't be in the top four. So what you already, so here's the funny thing, right? So, there's this big pomp and circumstance announcement coming out. You already said the lines are up at FanDuel, so we already know the matchups, right? Alabama, Georgia, two for the title, SEC dominant. We, we've seen this happen before, but and and you've already said you think that Cincinnati really doesn't have a chance here. Michigan's a spoiler, right? Michigan is a spoiler. I, I don't love the matchup against Georgia. You know. Look, I thought Georgia was going to win today also. And I, I, I said many times this week, and I said on my podcast, you guys go check that out. It's, uh, the, the new podcast is Believe in Betting, B-L-E-A-V. Believe in Betting is my new podcast. And I, I did that this week, and I, I was talking on the podcast, and I said, you know, Tim, the only way I can see, <laughs> you know, Georgia not winning this game is by some nefarious actions where they just don't care because they know they're making it in anyway. And the amount of money, me and you discussed this, the amount of money that will come in on the SEC getting two teams in, into the Final Four, then two teams into the championship, is massive. I wasn't saying that they were going to throw the game, but maybe you're not giving it 100%. Maybe it's you know, just not, not the, the goal. You know, I always go back to movies, right? And I'm a huge Rocky fan, right? Rocky wanted it bad. And then what happened, Tim? Didn't he get soft? Didn't Clubber Lang beat him? You know, why? Because he, he, he just didn't want it so bad that first time. Well, I think that might be Georgia here. Maybe they just didn't, weren't focused. They didn't want it so bad because they knew 
even with a loss, we're moving up. So while Michigan might be the, the spoiler here, I hate the matchup. Georgia has, and I mentioned this on the air before because it's, it's an amazing stat, Georgia has more five-star recruits on their defense than the Pac-12 has in total. Okay? That is unbelievable when you think about it. And Michigan has to run the ball. This is what made Michigan Michigan this year. They're, they're an eyelash away from an undefeated record. This is, this is the best coaching job in the, of the year by far. Harbaugh outcoached everybody else and what he's done there. But he went back to smash-mouth football. Playing smash-mouth football against Georgia is, is not going to work. And I think that is a bad matchup. And that's the problem. If Michigan was playing Alabama, Michigan wins. If Michigan was playing Cincinnati, Michigan wins. Michigan's playing Georgia. I'm not so sure. And, and yeah, I know you, you and I had spoke earlier in the week, and also you – did it over on your YouTube videos, which I really like a lot, Tom. I'm glad you started doing those when you talked about the coaching changes uh, earlier in the week with Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly. But you had said that for all the Notre Dame fans out there who are right now sit sixth in the country, that that decision by Brian Kelly to leave essentially eliminated them because it, it factors into a criteria that they have. So had had this really gone haywire, right? Um Notre Dame would still be sitting on the outside looking in? Yeah, they would. You know, one of the factors um, that, that I was reading, and it, it, it's available to anybody, the first thing, hey, you know, recognize when you're doing your voting, recognize conference champions, recognize head-to-head, and then it also says recognize if a team is missing a key player, a key coach, or if during the year they're missing a key player, a key coach. Because, you know, I mean, we've seen that happen before, right? A team goes 11-1, but their one loss, their starting quarterback went down. All right, well, I'm going to factor that in. Well, in this case, it was Brian Kelly. So, you know, Notre Dame was never making it in. And I will still say this. You know, I, I kind of was railing for Notre Dame a moment ago, just to give you comparison's sake. But I will say this. Tim, Notre Dame not having a championship game has to hurt. I, I mean, they have to be penalized for not playing that last game. And then again, wait a minute. I just talked about Alabama winning a championship where they didn't do it, but you know, I think that that does hurt. I think that if Notre Dame would have played an ACC championship game today, even against a weak Pittsburgh team, right, or people perceived to be weak, if Notre Dame would have been the ACC champions with one loss to Cincinnati, I think we would have had a serious, serious debate. So just just humor me with this real quick, and, and then we can move on, because I wanted to bring up a quick college basketball note, but... Say, so. Say Georgia wins, they're in. Say Michigan loses to Iowa. Alabama would be, or they're two. Alabama's three. They lose to Georgia. Cincinnati loses. <laughs> Oklahoma State loses. What what happens at that point? Notre Dame would be six. Even if Cincinnati won, that's still only two teams in. Alabama, Alabama would second. No matter what. Uh, yeah, no matter what. I, okay. I mean, unless they got embarrassed. Uh, like Iowa did today, um, Alabama was going. Because, again, it's the SEC. You know, I mean, it just is the SEC. And it's, um, I, I mean, you know, everything is tilted that way, Tim. You know, I asked for that. I wanted chaos. Because, you know, it takes a ridiculous moment in time for people to realize how ridiculous things are. Before that LSU-Alabama year, 
people kind of chuckled at me and you sitting back here and talking and going, look, Alabama just, you know, the, the, they just get every break, and it's, it, they don't play by the rules. It's not fair. And people chuckled. Ah, you, and then that happened, and they said, whoa, 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 whoa. Even people in the SEC are going, wait a minute, what? They didn't even play for their national championship? They, we had to play, LSU had to play another game? And, and Alabama got to sit home with Saban and prepare another week, right? Uh, even the FCC got upset, and then what happened? Well, now the institute changes, and they started moving things around and, and, and started kind of getting upset. UCF raises a banner, right, in Florida saying we're the national champions. That raised awareness. Why? Because it was so ridiculous. Now they put Cincinnati in, right? Now they got Cincinnati in there here, Tim. Why? Because UCF caused such a stink and such a, a problem across the, the country. So Alabama would have been in. And it would have had to be that ripple effect of what we, you guys did what you put Alabama in with two losses, you know, uh, that would have had to be the situation or maybe three losses. I I'm still under this feeling, Tim, if Alabama would have lost to Auburn in three overtimes and then came back and played a close game and lost to Georgia, a three loss Alabama team could have gotten in with the scenario you told me. I, I, I would just, I would assume Regardless of the coaching situation, because of the money involved and and the fan base that travels, that somehow they would put Notre Dame in that mix. But I understand. I understand both sides of it. Yeah, look, it's um, it's something that I wish we could. I we need total chaos to expose the SEC. The problem is, is that one of the negotiating. I, I said this the night that it came out. The nego- one of the big negotiating points that they had when they signed all these contracts and they signed the play of the football playoff, the SEC refused to be a part of it. If you had just conference champions, because the SEC has in their mind that there could be a year where there will be three or even four SEC teams in the national championship playoff picture. All right, Tom. So if those are the matchups that we're going to get announced here, come what Monday or Tuesday, I think Monday, right? Monday night. Um, who wins it? Alabama again? No, I, I think it's going to be Georgia. Uh, look, okay. I thought Georgia was going to win today. Um, I know that, I, look, they have not played a, a real dominant, complete team. But, you know, I think, I think Georgia's probably going to be the team. And they're probably going to be the team because you look at just the difficulty of beating team back-to-back. And I know I shouldn't bet against Saban, and I know Saban with time, and I know, you know, I know, I know all of that, okay? And the, it's hard to say that after today and what we just witnessed, right? I mean, it's hard for me to sit back and say Alabama's not going to win. But I, I was so confident in Georgia being able to win today that I have to go with my gut feeling. There was a, a couple of interceptions, interception return for a touchdown. I, just, I think Georgia beat themselves today, and this is not to take anything away from Alabama. It really isn't. I think Georgia really just had a terrible day. They beat themselves. And I'm looking at the position, and I'm just saying, you know what? Look, let's sit down and really assess. If they played again right now, right now, if they play tomorrow, would I take Georgia? Probably would take Georgia. <laughs> you know? I probably would take Georgia again. So i got to take Georgia to win it all. I'm rooting for Michigan, but I'm going to take Georgia. Tom, I'm glad you decided to jump on the – SEC ball washing machine like myself. I'm going to go with Bama to win again just to be that guy, man. It wouldn't shock me. You know, it wouldn't shock me. I, 
and maybe I'll, I'll change my mind in a week. You know, it's very possible. I'll go back and watch that game. I was watching that game, and, and, you know, I just kept saying, what, what are Georgia doing? I mean, they just don't look like the Georgia team that we saw. They just didn't look like it at all. And they have to get the passing game going with JT Daniels. They have to not be afraid to go back to that and not be afraid to go into it. Um, yeah, it wouldn't shock me. I, I, I think we're having an SEC champion this year, and it's disgusting, <laughs> you know. And we just spent a half hour saying how they don't deserve to be there. That doesn't mean that I don't think that they can beat anybody. But, yeah, they don't deserve the spot that they're getting. College basketball, we're about um, – essentially we're a month into the season, 10, 12 games for most of these colleges. And we've had some, some great early season matchups, right, Tom? We saw Gonzaga go down to Duke here in Las Vegas. Then Duke turns around, loses at Ohio State. Gonzaga tonight, another loss in essentially what was a home game in Seattle against a very good Alabama team, which, by the way, Tommy, I did end up putting a little money on Alabama, 40-1 to 1 to win the title. So, you, you know, there's a lot going on. Uh, just you have to be – you as a fan, right, Tommy? Not even an analyst or, or, a, or a handicapper. Just as a fan, you have to be excited for what you've seen so far in the first month of basketball. Yeah, I am, you know, and I was one of those few people that did my previews, uh, and you guys can go check them all at, uh, over at YouTube. I could use the subscribers. I really, really can. I'm, I'm getting up there, but I could use the subscribers, so you guys can go check out my preseason predictions. And, um, you know, I said out there, what did I say, Tim? I said, I'm just not on that Gonzaga bandwagon this year. And I have been for years. You know that. Um, I, just, I, I thought that it was a lot to come back and continuously climb the mountain. I thought that it was a lot to lose a 20-year assistant, um, the guy is just, he's your right-hand man. And I think that was a lot. I, and I thought that Gonzaga wouldn't be that dominant team. Losing against Duke mm, didn't sit too well. But then they lost against Alabama tonight. And while everyone's going to look at what, what they hit, 13 threes or something like that, the three ball was definitely dropping. Gonzaga looks, dare I say, soft, him. Gonzaga looks soft. I, I, I think... That's a fair assessment. Gonzaga looks like a team that you could beat up. You could get under their skin. You could bounce around. That isn't something that just is fixed with scheme. That's not something that, you know, it's kind of like a a boxer going back to the Rocky reference. That's kind of like a boxer with an open eye, right? No matter what you do, how tough you are, how good you are, your eyes still bleed, right? And Gonzaga can change scheme. They can do all kinds of things. That's what's coming out of the college basketball for me early in the season. I think that we're seeing that the ACC is down a little bit, but not quite as much as I thought maybe they would be. UNC has a big game tomorrow, a big basically statement game tomorrow. They're only laying three on the road against Georgia Tech. Uh, If UNC wins tomorrow, and I do expect them to win tomorrow, I think we have to start looking at UNC and saying, you know what, they could be a lot better than we gave them credit for. You look around the league and you start seeing a team like Purdue, that I gave out on the air, Tim, right? I mean, if you remember, I told you Purdue, um, I, I told you how good that this team could be. I think people are still underrating how good a team like Purdue could be. I think people are overrating how good a team like Michigan was. I looked at this Michigan team. North Carolina dismantled them. So I think college basketball is going to be real fun this year. It's starting to get there. And I like years like this where – you don't have that predominant favorite, but you have 10, 12 teams that you go, man, man, they are real good, real good right now. Just real quickly on, on Gonzaga. Losing early, losing to two 
look, Alabama top 20 team, Duke was a top five team. So losing to two teams like that, I, the loss tonight worries me more than the Duke loss. I think they were they were beat at their own game tonight. And I know uh, Alabama can run up and down the court. Do you think maybe it's just a situation where this, this schedule being so tough early may benefit them later in the year? Or is it just like you said, it does expose weaknesses that some of these teams in, in the SEC in the South, maybe when you, you get to the tournament, uh, you know, in my mind, other than UCLA, Gonzaga, if it's not UCLA, Gonzaga is the one seed in the West. It's just how I look at it. So they wouldn't be exposed necessarily, Tommy, until they get to a, an Elite Eight situation. But is it something that, like, like to your point, it's uh, exposing weaknesses or maybe more to my point that it's just going to make them a little bit uh, harder as a team in, the, in later in the year? No, I, you know, it's not that they lost him. It's how they lost. Like I said, they look like a soft team. Um, and I'm not talking emotionally soft. I'm talking about they look like a team you could go in there and be physical with and beat up. That is more exposing them. And I think teams will replicate that all year long. Now, look, once they get into their conference, there's no team that's going to be able to move on in their conference and replicate that. There's no team you know, that will be able to bang them around. But once you get to that sweet 16, that elite eight level, all of a sudden you're going to start to have a conversation about – what are we going to do? Well, we'll physically beat them up. I just mentioned North Carolina, just to throw it out there since we were on the North Carolina thread. Look, they're a massively big team inside, right? A team like Florida State is a really big team. And you look at a team like Florida State, a team like North Carolina, just for two examples, they're going to have a field day against Gonzaga underneath, and they're going to just be able to out-physical them. That's the concern. It's not that they lost. And I, look, you lose to two top 25 teams, maybe two top 10 teams. I'm not saying it's a bad situation, but you, you mentioned it. Look, losing to Alabama, basically in your backyard, days after losing to Duke, it just doesn't sit right if you're a Gonzaga. But you're not used to this. And now it's a matter of, okay, did you lose because you weren't focused? Was it a mental thing? Or is it the product that you're putting out? Um, and right now, I think it's the product that you can just get beaten up underneath. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton, Heatwave Sports. Tom, just your thoughts on this. This is a, kind of a big story for me, you know, being a University of Maryland fan, athletics fan, but especially on the basketball side of it. So just two days ago, Maryland announced that Mark Turgeon is stepping down or – I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it was a little more of pushed out, but officially stepping down as the coach of the Terps right now, effective immediately. So number one, you don't usually see a lot of coaching changes in season, right, Tom, unless it's UNLV. Number two, you don't see a lot of big school coaching changes early in the year. And, you know, essentially, if you really do the research on it, there's, there's been issues there, not only with Turgeon and the fan base, but but maybe Mark Turgeon and, and the in the athletic director as well. I think there's a little bit of heat there, but either way, the move was made. Uh, he's no longer the coach. So here comes the fun part, and we've done this on this show numerous times when we've talked about the, the head coaching vacancies at UNLV. This is a big job, right, Tom? You know, you're talking about a top twenty job in college basketball, and it'll be interesting to see. Who gets this this job? And and I just wanted to kind of throw it out there and, and your thoughts on something that would happen this early in the year. Um, some of the candidates, maybe somebody you'd like to see go there. And, and then I'll, I'll throw in my, my weight as well. But, you know, this was for me, it was a big deal. But I think it's, it's a big deal in, in just nationally as well. This is a, this is a good job. 
yeah, it's a it's a good job. It was a it was a job that you could say was becoming a very good job. Uh, you know, they're they're in a, a conference where, especially in college basketball, all you need is one good recruiting class, and all of a sudden you're you're back, um, and you're playing big time games, big time TV games. You're you're in the national spotlight. It's a very attractive job for the right coach. My problem with what Maryland is is if you're a coach, first of all, in the middle of the season, it's going to be difficult. But if you're looking at the Maryland job, you know, you're going, okay, I got to go up against Tom Izzo. I got to go up against, you know, Ohio State that's always pesky. Wisconsin's always a problem. Purdue this year is all of a sudden up there. Iowa last year was, was decent. You know, even Rutgers, I mean, I think it's not, you know, I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that the Big Ten is the best conference in America right now. I don't think that anybody would really even argue that right now, that they've taken over the crown for the ACC. So, yes, it's a big-time program. You're going to get, uh, you know, recruits. You're going to be able to play, play on national TV. You're going to have a chance at a national championship if you play your cards the right way, right? I mean, you have the exposure. Everything's going to be there, Tim, to build a really good program. It's a good job. But I worry about looking at that gauntlet schedule, Michigan, Michigan State, and, you know, Ohio State, Wisconsin. I mean, you don't get a night off in the Big Ten. And to some coaches that are trying to navigate, you go, I'd rather take the Mark Few way of, you know, beating up on the whack than take the route of the Big Ten. So just from a personal standpoint, I was never a fan of, really a big fan of, of Mark Turgeon. I didn't like the hire when they did it. That being said, he finished 110 games over 500. He went to five tournaments in seven years, and he won the Big Ten championship. Had a pretty good team in 2020 before the pandemic shut it down. Obviously, right, Tommy, there's there's something in the background that may come out later. But And, and I don't necessarily want to hear, well, the fan base is, was tired of him not going past the second round. I get it. That's not what we were used to under the Gary Williams regime. But he's not Gary Williams, right? So the guy coming in now, I think – has less pressure than Mark Turgeon obviously had. And, you know, what does he have to go up against? Because if you're really looking at putting the resumes together, I think five tournament appearances in seven years is, is pretty damn good. The problem is it's not Maryland good. Yeah, it's not Maryland good. And, again, this is a program, Tim, and I know you're a Maryland fan, but they have to kind of swallow what they are now, right? I mean, this is what you are now. You're not going to get the top coach on the market you might not get a national championship. But be happy with what the product that's putting out there. If Maryland is going out there consistently making the tournament and me winning a round or two, I think that's what, you, what kind of program you are right now. And do you want more than that? Sure. But do you, was it necessary to fire him during the season, Tim? Like, it, was he doing that poor of a job in the first eight games of the season? <laughs> that you felt the need to fire him. I know what you're saying. Look, he had problems with the athletic director. He got issues. That, that's something different. But I, I was just shocked at the idea of let's fire this guy right now because it was so necessary. Because you know what? If you have the greatest coach in the world walking in the door this year, Tim, still not winning the national championship. The greatest coach in the world, you're still not making it to a Final Four. So what benefit did they really get at this point? Yeah, I did. As much as, like I said, I'm not, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of on I didn't agree with the, the firing at all and really you look at the three losses they're five and three heading into this weekend and they lost on a neutral court game to Louisville they lost to a good George Mason team that both you and I 
called that one when when the line came out. Okay, bad loss of Virginia Tech on Wednesday night. I get it, but I don't think it was something that, that needed to push for a termination at that point. I mean, who are you hearing? What, what do you think? This is this is a very attractive job, as we said. So Danny Manning, former Kansas star, NBA player, he's he's the interim coach. He was on the staff there at Maryland his first year. He has head coaching experience at Wake Forest. He didn't necessarily have a good run there, but uh, he's the he's the guy that's stepping in. I mean, barring what Tommy, barring a, a run in the tournament somehow, you have to assume they're going to go a different route. They're going to go a different route almost no matter what. We watched that happen here, you know, uh, in Las Vegas, right? Uh, we, we all thought, all right, they, they did a pretty decent job, and then, well, here we go. Um, yeah, yeah, I haven't heard that number one coaching name kind of be linked, and who is going to be that guy jump off the page? You know, Kevin Willard from Seton Hall, that's a guy that I'm, I'm familiar with, so I think Willard makes a lot of sense. He would be able to jump to a... Uh, a better program, even if it's, uh, you know, I mean, look, I like, I, I don't want to bash Seton Hall, but the better program. Kim English is somebody that everybody seems to like, right? Um, uh, you know, he's a, the George Mason coach. Everybody seems to like him. I go to the Big East because I'm familiar with it. You know, Ed Cooley from Providence, another guy that you might want to go take a peek at. Um, maybe St. Bonaventure, who I, I told you I think is going to be very good this year. Maybe they're looking to do something big. I don't think you could rule out Patino, you know, leaving Iona. I don't think he does it, Tim, but can you throw Patino in there? Uh, yeah, I think you could throw Patino in there as well. So, I mean, you know, look, the Big East, the jobs coming from there make sense. I don't know if it's a huge jump up from the, the Seton Hall to Providence to a Maryland to really entice them away. Tim English makes sense because everybody likes him. He's really young, and he's from Baltimore. Um, I think he's the guy if you really are going to go in a different direction. But I'm not ruling out Patino. I mean, every time there's a coaching search and a coaching name goes out there, I know he says he wants to stay at Iona. Is anybody believing that? <laughs> you know, I'm certainly not. He wants to stay at Iona, Tommy, and this would be like an easier transition for him to get back in the, in the limelight. And the, the three names that you said, right, are all the, the hot the hot ticket names, of course. Willard, that would be that would be great. You know, look what he does at Seton Hall with less talent. Uh, Kim English, I'm I'm on board with that as well, and he has the ties to the college, and you can build long term with them. And Cooley, everybody loves Ed Cooley as well, approver of Providence. I want to say, I want to say Willard turned down Michigan a few years back too. So, you know, there there's those guys. So I'm going to give you two names, and they're probably not going to happen, right? They're probably not going to happen. But if I could pick my coach. I would go back to a guy that by, I, you and I both thought he would be a great fit at UNLV knowing that they weren't going to pay for him. And he got paid pretty well. And, and that's a guy we just saw tonight on TV, right, Tommy? If we, if we can grab Nate Oates from Alabama, they'd have to pay him. He's making over $3 million a year. But that would be a great fit for me. And then for my, my, dark, my dark long shot here, would be bring the cheater in, bring Sean Miller in. He was the guy that we wanted originally before Turgeon got the job. He wouldn't leave Arizona. He's not working right now, but there might be a reason for that, right? Yeah, listen, I, Nate Oates would be 100%. You do that tomorrow. I think Tim's actually picking him up at the airport, right? I mean, I, you love that. I just don't think he's leaving. I think he likes what he has in Alabama. I think Alabama's going to have a deep tournament run this year. 
I think he does see that, you know what, I, 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 could, I could win here in the SEC. I, I just don't see him leaving. Uh, that's the only reason I left him off. But, yeah, you go get him if you want him. Uh, I'm, look, I'm a guy that I like programs that can't recruit well and are still winning. And that's why I said, you know, the George Mason coach, the, the, the Kim Englishes of the world. I like that. You know, I wouldn't even be surprised if Maryland, because they're on the East Coast, if Maryland tapped into some Ivy coaches. You know, Tommy Amaker says, you know, every time a job comes up, people kind of throw his name in there. He was kind of up for the Duke job, but not really. A lot of people believe that he's holding out for a big-time ACC job. Well, it's not the ACC, but it's on the East Coast, right, Tim? That might be a name that nobody's talking about, but might make some sense as well. And the thing with Amaker was he was such the hot ticket for a minute there, and, and I don't know what happened, Tom. Did he turn down too many jobs, and that was it? Yeah, you know, the Ivy Leagues are a little bit are a little bit different. Um, you know, you're dealing with non-scholarship players all the time, uh, but Tommy Amaker was recruiting fantastically. And you're right, he was the hot ticket. He was the guy, and all anybody kept saying was, he's going to be the guy to take over for Coach Kett. I mean, he's going to be the successor to Coach K. We knew it, and here it was. It was going to happen. And once we, I, I believe, once we all kind of realized, no, that's not going to happen, then people started going, well, why not? Right? It's the idea of, like, you know, the hot girl walks on to, into the bar, and she's, you know, 35 years old, and she, she's hot, she's nice, she's got a good job. Something's got to be up, right? I mean, guys, look at it. I don't know. What's going on? Somebody didn't nag, you know, nail her right now. You know, meaning somebody, you know, pick her up and marry her. Same thing with a guy. Look, you women out there, you turn around, a 35-year-old guy with a re- really good-looking guy, great body, nice dude, got a good job. And at 35 years old, you make it to not be married. What's the red flag? Well, that's the kind of the thing with Tommy Amaker. You know, he seems like he checks every box. Him. He seems like everything is out there, right? And it seems like Duke should have went out there and nailed him and go, yeah, look, you're, you're going to be our guy. Just hang tight, hang at Harvard. You're going to be our successor. Um, and when they didn't do that, I think teams got kind of got scared off. Like, why didn't Duke take him serious? Why didn't Duke even, you know what I mean, really make him the mention of the next coming and the next guy? Why didn't Duke do that? And the minute they did, they didn't do that, I think people pulled off and said, well, if your own don't want you, well, then we're not going to take a shot. I was reading a couple, not message boards, but they're like blog sites and they're Maryland fan blog sites. And, you know, you have the the um the emotional sentiments that oh well maybe somebody you know when you look at guys like Jawan Howard going back to Michigan you're thinking well maybe Juan Dixon or Steve Blake but here's one for you right those guys don't really have a, the coaching experience I think they want somebody with experience obviously so since we're playing um former players ACC guys what, what about a guy like Bobby Hurley leaving Arizona State to go to Maryland you know just the I know they're not in the same conference anymore, Tommy, but all those intermingling rivalries and you're seeing these players go back to what's familiar, things like that, that's what would make it an exciting hire. And I think it has to be exciting. I don't, As much as I like Kim English potential further down the road, it's not exciting to me. And I think you want to kind of make a splash. And they say, well, you know, Danny Manning's going to finish the year and then we'll start our coaching search at that point. That's BS. The coaching starts be- has began. So if they get somebody, it's going to be announced, right, Tom? So it has to be a bigger name. Yeah, it has to be. I, you know, I, I like where your mind's at, 
I, I, I like what you're saying here, Tim, but I think you're looking at too many message boards. The Maryland job is good, but is it much marketably better than Arizona State? Unless they're going to overpay for somebody. They're willing to overpay. All of these conversations are off the board. But right now, look, the Maryland job is a, I think it's a third-tier job. I think that's a fair assessment. First-tier jobs are the Dukes, North Carolinas, the, the, the five or six programs. After that, those secondary jobs. I think Ohio State is that secondary job. So it, it's not taking a shot. I'm being honest here. You know, the Ohio State is a secondary job. Um, you know, you only have five or six programs that are in that top tier. And then Maryland, I don't think Maryland is the kind of quality of a job like a Florida, like an Ohio State. I don't think it's a, a Villanova. I don't think it's one of those kind of schools. I think it's that third tier. And in that third tier, I think that's where Maryland has to be and has to kind of come back to reality and being. You're not marketably better than Arizona State. Could it happen? Sure. But you're going to have to write a big paycheck. Are they willing to do that? If Maryland's third tier, what's UNLV? Just about uh, as far as you could go. <laughs> I've said, well, I, you know, I, I've jokingly said, but I was, it's never been a joke. It's been taken as a joke when I said, you know, UNLV is basically like, uh, you know, a mid-tier, mid-level kind of uh, you know champion when we're, we're talking about the other the other schools, like uh, meaning the Midwest. Look, is the Sun Belt champion better than UNLV? You know, on the court they are. Is the job better? No, not really. Um, but I don't think it's much worse. You know, I live in a, a place where Stony Brook and Hofstra are right down the right down the, the, the field for me. You know, they're within you know, a half hour drive each one. Stony Brook and Hofstra have better programs than UNLV right now. Is it a better job? No, it's not a better job, but they have better programs. Okay, so they're a step up from the Stony Brooks, the Vermonts of the world, right? Uh, which Vermont's a pretty good job. But they're a step up from there, but they're certainly in that, that next tier. So if Maryland's a three, UNLV five or six tier, you know? I mean, is it – I'll give you a couple of comparisons here. Right, they're they're not better. The UNLV job is not better than any Power Five conference. Right, any I don't care who you are, you're the worst team. Is Seton Hall? Seton Hall is a better program, is a better job than UNLV. Okay, so I'm even throwing the Big East in there. So after that, now let's start having a conversation. Once you're done with that, is is St. Mary's a better job than UNLV, Tim? I don't know. I think it, look at look, who they play tonight. You know, San Francisco. San Francisco a better job? No, no, no. That's not a better job. You all know he's got a better job. San Francisco's got a, got a better program though, Tim. Right? I mean, it, it's a clear better program, but they're not a better. It's not a better job. So I still think that UNLV looks down on a lot of teams because it's Las Vegas, because it's a great city, because it does have some tradition, because it has a great arena. There's a lot to like about UNLV. The only thing you don't like is the results on the field, uh, on the court in this case, and what you don't really like is the mismanagement up top. You look at a program, if I'm a head coach, and I'm looking at a program that just bungled and completely just have been a disaster in the hiring process, the athletic department, I don't care if you moved athletic directors, oh, now you're on a second one, now you're on a third one in like the last, what, five or six years. It's just a mess that you almost don't want to be involved with. Do you like Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, or do you like LaFleur and Rodgers? Do 
know, like Cliff Kingsbury and, and Kyler Murray, you like, you know, uh, whoever else you want to insert into there. I think they're a playoff team. I think they could win a game in the playoffs. I think that they are on par with the Rams, who I told you I wasn't very high on this year, but I think they're on par with the Rams. That's a, a good debate. I think they are on par with Dallas. I think that's a good debate, but they're not Tampa. They're not Green Bay. I'm not even sure if, they're a, if they could go out there and kind of beat a healthy San Francisco team. So they're that second-tier team, Tim. Good team, win a game or two. But in no way do I think that Cliff Kingsbury can coach his way to a Super Bowl. How about the champs? NFC South, Bucks 8-3 at Atlanta, 5-6. and six. This game opened 9.5. It's now 10.5. Atlanta kind of in the tank after that nice start to the season. Well, they got the number one offense in the league in Tampa Bay. The best quarterback right now, um, not only just of all time, but yeah, no, this year too. He's the MVP. He's the league in passing touchdowns. Uh, they also just found a running game. Oh, by the way, playoff Lenny just became real time running the ball uh, during the regular season, Lenny, and he looks real good. What's interesting to me about the Bucks is everybody said, you know what, there was a prop play out there. They were going to go 18-0, right? I mean, 17-0, and they were going to win game 18-19. Oh, they were going undefeated. They're going to 20-something, and all. Oh, people were going crazy. And then they didn't, and they didn't look good, and they lost against them. And they lost against the Washington, and they lost against the Reds. My thing is this. Is Tampa Bay hasn't been healthy all year. What are the reasons why we all love Tampa Bay? We love them is because – Brought everyone back from a Super Bowl, right? But Levante David has been out. Devin White's been out. They've been playing with backups to backups to backups in the secondary. They haven't had a starting secondary member in weeks. Gronk has missed time. Antonio Brown has missed time. Godwin has missed time, right? I mean, Leonard Fournette has missed time. Everybody is like a revolving door. Here's the thing. They're starting to get healthy. This is the healthiest that they've been going into Atlanta here. Now, like I said, I can't stand laying double digits in the NFL. And I don't like giving double digits in any spot. But I certainly won't do it against a divisional opponent. And I'm definitely not going to do it against a divisional opponent on the road, Tim. That's just lunacy. But if there was a spot, it might be this. Because they are getting healthy. From what I'm hearing, Devin White should play tomorrow. Levante David just came off the, the injured reserve last week. All of a sudden, they're getting better there. In the secondary, a couple of guys are starting to come back there. We saw Gronk is going to be back. Godwin looks like he's shaking it off. So I think that we are still underrating what this Bucks team is because they went through a little spell. They're all about getting to the playoffs and get healthy, and then let's watch what we are going to be. It wouldn't shock me to see them absolutely humiliate Atlanta tomorrow. At Matt Ryan was, was literally whispering plays to his wide receivers because they, they forgot to play at the line of scrimmage last week. Cordell Patterson is their main running threat. I mean, they're, they're a mess, Atlanta. Wouldn't shock me if Brady just lit them up. If you want a prop play, Brady over everything. He might light them up for 400 tomorrow. But I just can't lay double digits on the road in a division game. No way. Well, let's go to the next game. A double-digit spread on the road in a division game. Indianapolis at Houston. Open seven, now ten. The Colts six and six, two games behind Tennessee, trying to nip at the, nip at the tails there, and Houston two and nine. So same uh, variables there, Tom. Everything you said. Yeah, look, Houston can't stop the run. They just can't. 
They are the second-worst team against the run in the NFL. They are a bad team against the run. And here comes Jonathan Taylor. And don't give me last week, because the last week it was a clear design. They were not going to run the ball. They weren't going to test that number one rushing defense of Tampa Bay. They were just going to throw the ball all day. So Taylor didn't have a great game. He's going to have a great game here. The one thing I will say is this. Again, we're talking about double digits, laying them on the road in division. Um, they look like a different team with Tyrod Taylor running the show, don't they, Tim? They look a little bit like they, they got a little spunk. Nico Collins is a decent receiver out there. But now there's rumors that Brandon Cooks might not play. If Cooks doesn't play, you know, I, I, I might even talk to say, all right, listen, I'm not talking to you out of laying double digits here. Cooks plays, though. I think Texas can be feisty on the road, uh, you know, laying double digits in this spot. It, it's not something that I want to go anywhere near, but I do expect Jonathan Taylor to have a field day. Philadelphia in your neck of the woods against the, the Jets. Open six and a half, bet and bet down to five. I even see a four and a half somewhere, Tommy, here with the five and seven Eagles, the three and eight Jets. Well, the number one thing that the Philadelphia did going into last week, they ran the ball 160 times to 100 passing over the three week span where they won three straight games. They were scoring 30 points a game. It was run, 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 and then run some more. And then Miles Sanders was coming back. We're going to run it some more, and we're just going to keep running it. And Jalen Hurts has got eight touchdowns on the ground, and they're just going to run the ball. Well, Tim, Miles Sanders might be back, but Gainwell is banged up, Austin Scott's banged up, and now word is that Jalen Hurts probably isn't going to play. You go up against a Jets team that really match up well. I, I can't believe I was saying it, but they match up well. The Jets' front four are fantastic. After that, they get, you know, uh, you could throw on them all day long, but their front four is pretty great with Quentin Williams leading the charge. So if you know that Eagles are going to run, and now they have a backup quarterback, so they're probably going to run even more. And you're going up against a good run, you know, front four and a good, a good four that can stack the box. How can you lay points in that spot? I know it's the Jets. I know they're the lowly Jets, and they stink and they everything else. I'm not disagreeing. I think Robert Sala is out of his realm. I don't think he's a good coach. They don't have any talent. I think their quarterback situation is a complete mess. It, they don't have talent on offense. Their defense is, okay, after the front four, they're a mess there. But I can't lay double digits. Philadelphia needs this game. They have to win this game. Jalen Hurts probably won't suit up. That should tell you how hurt Jalen Hurts actually is. And the Jet brethren, the Giants, on the road at Miami. The Giants 4-7, and seven, the Dolphins 5-7. and seven. But, Tommy, Abby's favorite team, the Miami Dolphins, have won four in a row. And they are, tomorrow, a 6.5-point favorite at home. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, full, full disclosure here, I grabbed this line at two and a half earlier in the week. Loved it, grabbed it, pounded it. I went crazy on, on the Dolphins. I just didn't see the Giants hanging in here. Now it's up to six and a half, and I'm getting, going, okay, well, Mike Lennon to, to rescue the day for the Giants, come on. Mike Lennon's going to start because Daniel Jones is out. Saquon Barkley is just not that guy anymore, okay? If you watched him last week, here's all I have to tell you guys. It was a third and goal from the one-yard line and Saquon Barkley was not a part of the game plan. That should tell you what the Giants think about Saquon Barkley right now. Kenny Galladay, two weeks ago, one catch for 12 yards in his triumphant return. Are we joking? So the Giants offensively can't move the ball. Both of these teams are averaging under 20 points per game. But the difference here is the Miami Dolphins are allowing 11 points per game over the last four games. And their defense has stepped up. It's a defense that we knew had a good defensive head coach in Brian Flores. We knew had talent. Xavier Howard and Jones are the best two-cornerback combination in the league. We knew that they could do it. Wilkinson up front. 
Miami is finally turning into the team that we thought. And everybody got down on Tua. Tua is all about staying on the field. When he's on the field, look, he looks pretty good. And Jalen Waddle, can we talk about this kid? Wow, he's absolutely fantastic. They got Waddle, they got Gazeki. Tua's looking good. Defense is looking good. I don't think the Giants are going to be in this game, Tim. But I got it at two and a half. Would I be so happy about getting it six and a half? Not so much because the Dolphins, I just said, they average less than 20 points per game. They could dominate this game, Tim, be up uh, you know, 20 to 7, and then a late backdoor touchdown, all of a sudden 20 to 14, the team looks a lot closer. And that's kind of the game that I think it's going to sort of be tomorrow. I think the Dolphins walk out with a win. Just don't love laying nearly, nearly a touchdown. I started with the, the rookie wide receiver core. You said right there, Waddle, about Devonta Smith over with the Eagles, Jamar Chase with the Bengals. All first round picks, all right in the right, kind of right in the same grouping, right, Tommy? They've, they've all, all had pretty good rookie seasons. Here's my bold prediction, Tim. Ready? I, we, I don't usually do things for click, you know, and say things for click's sake. And HW Sports is going to give me a quote and, and everybody will run to me. I think Jalen Waddle will be the best receiver of the bunch. Right now, you know, where's Jamar Chase? Probably about minus 10,000 to win that award, right? Everybody's loving him. Devontae Smith is the Heisman Trophy. What I've watched in Waddle is absolutely breathtaking. And that, that's the only way that I can put it. He's playing a position. He was playing a position for the first six games of the season that he's, he's never played before. He was playing the slot out of pure necessity. And I kept saying, wait until they start going deep with this guy because he was supposed to be the deep man. So he worked on his craft, catching the ball over the middle, getting those yards, getting that kind of rhythm. Now all of a sudden they're letting him go deep. They're creating plays for him. They're letting him run the ball out of the backfield. He is becoming that Swiss Army knife. I know Jamar Chase has got everything going for him, and everybody's loving this guy. And you know what, what they're doing with him, here you go. But Waddle's a guy that you can't put that number one cornerback on because he's a different kind of slot guy. I think he's going to be the best receiver out of the bunch. So Devonta Smith was the Heisman winner, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and Waddle was this, the the number, quote unquote, the number two on that team. But uh, obviously, you said it. I think he was the better receiver of the two. And I think for Chase, and this is no knock on Tua because he's been, he's been hurt. Chase had a healthy, true quarterback throwing him the ball as well, or throwing yeah, him the ball. You know. Yeah, and and guess what? T. Higgins gets a lot of the one on one, the best cornerback coverage early in the season, specifically because of what T. Higgins did last year. Then they said, you know what, forget this, we're going to Jamar Chase. He slowed down a little bit, huh, Tim? Right? He slowed down a little bit. Yep. Uh, one more morning game. The This should be a fun one to watch. The Chargers will be in Cincinnati to take on. We just talked about them. Burrow, Chase, and the Bengals. This one opened one and a half. It's now up to a field goal, minus three. For a Bengal team that, that got off to a great start, Tommy, then they then they kind of lulled. Now they've won two in a row. They're back seven and four game behind Baltimore in the AFC North. And the Chargers, well, new coach, uh, same, same Chargers, right, Tom? Six and five, and definitely, I think, are underachieving what we thought they could do. Or did we think that? Well, Tim, you know, it, <laughs> I just told you guys that the 28th ranked defense in the NFL, 29th ranked defense in the NFL, 26th ranked rushing defense in the NFL, the San Diego slash San Andreas slash who are you Los Angeles Chargers are the worst run defense in the NFL, and it's not close. They give up 145 rushing yards a game, Tim. There's no other team 
that gets the Evern 136. That means there's almost a 10-yard difference that they're worse than every other team. Here comes Joe Mixon, right? If they are able to give the ball to him, sure. But this is still a team that I think is looking for an identity. Um, early in the season, it was Justin Herbert was just the guy, right? I mean, he was going to take this, this league. He was going to be, uh, are we sure that he's not better than Mahomes? The, the talk was absolutely crazy. And they fell in love with the Justin Herbert thing. And people started going, you know, we're, we're going to blitz this guy. We're just going to blitz him all day long. And he hasn't been able to handle it. Now, all of a sudden, Joe Burrow is the new flavor of the week, right? Oh, league's in good hands with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's fantastic. But I've also seen when you can get pressure on Joe Burrow, which happens quite often in Cincinnati. So I look at tomorrow's game and I go, all right, if you're Cincinnati, do you fall into the position of we're going to try to let Joe Burrow be Joe Burrow with Chase and Boyd and Higgins? Oh, it's tempting. Or do you stick with what you know you have to do? And that's just run Joe Mixon. We haven't seen that consistently this year, Tim. And, and, you know, I, I've been very critical of Zach Taylor year after year here because I just don't believe that he is a very good coach. If I believed in Zach Taylor, I'd tell you, take the Bengals all day tomorrow because they should run like wildfire all over the Chargers. But I can't do that because I don't believe that they're just going to run Joe Mixon, lower their head, and say we're going to grind out a win here. I think that they feel like they have to be flashy. I think that Zach Taylor tries to be Sean McVay too much, and he knows the weapon that he has in Joe Burrow. But this is a game where they just have to kind of just run the ball, and they could beat the Chargers just by getting that dominating ground game going. We're going to take our final timeout. When we come back, we'll look at the afternoon slate of games, the uh, Sunday night action that has the Chiefs, and, of course, the Monday nighter, big AFC East matchup, New England-Buffalo. But the Washington football team in Las Vegas to take on the Raiders tomorrow. We'll break that down for you next as it's Heat Wave Sports, Saturday night, Fox Sports Radio. Big matchups in the afternoon slate of Week 13 of the National Football League. Tim Ungleby, Tom Barton with you here on Heatwave Sports. We are off tomorrow night because of VGK Hockey, but back at it next Saturday at 10 o'clock right here on Fox Sports Radio 98.9 FM. So, Tommy, we'll start with the, the local team, the Las Vegas Raiders home against the Washington football team. Ron Rivera brings his boys in. And they're looking at a, eh, I guess it's about a point, point and a half difference for Washington. So Raiders, a small favorite at home, coming off a win last week. Washington, although on their own little run here, they've won three in a row now, five and six on the season. Yeah, listen, I'm looking at Washington, and I'm going, this is the team that I thought was going to win the East, right? I mean, I was all in on this Washington team. I really believe that they had what it took to take this this conference and say, I mean, I'm sorry, take this uh, division and maybe even get deep into the conference. Now, that was all with Ryan Fitzpatrick in the back of my head, um, but this defense is playing like that. Now, they're, they're interestingly playing like that without Chase Young, but you see guys like Landon Collins stepping up, and their defense has just been absolutely phenomenal. What they're doing is they're going back to basics. I think that they always wanted to go into a position where they just ran Antonio Gibson time and time again. But he was hurt. He had a bad leg going on. He was in a bad spot. And you look at you know who he is, and you look at the situation, and, and you go, look, Antonio Gibson is finally healthy. He came back from the, the bye week. He's healthy. The defense is starting to play really well. 
This Washington team is dangerous. And then you get a guy like Taylor Heineke. And I mentioned this on my show on the SGN Network, right, on, on Sports Garden. Um, I mentioned this uh, on my show multiple times. I said, when Ryan Fitzpatrick announced he wasn't going to play this year, I thought Taylor Heineke turned a, could turn a corner. And I announced this before time, and he has. The reason is, look, this is a guy from Old Dominion. Nobody believed in him. Uh, he's always had to fight for his job. He's, he, look, he's a backup quarterback, and that's what he is. But if you're a backup and you're playing, and you go, you know, even if I play well, i got to look over my shoulder at the guy coming on. Well, it, it's a distraction. Once he went down and they said, kid, the team is yours, they started playing really well. We could talk about the Raiders and how good they looked on Thanksgiving. And they did look. They looked very impressive, especially offensively. But three games leading into that, they didn't. I don't know if I could count on that. I don't know if I could count on that, especially with a, with a banged-up Darren Waller. What I do know what I can count on is that Antonio Gibson is consistently a talented guy. He's the most talented player on either team at this point um, that isn't playing quarterback, obviously. <laughs> the Raiders can't run the ball. And that goes to my idea of you know, why will the Raiders struggle. Well, they, they can't run the ball. They just simply can't. You give me the better running team, you give me the better defense, which is Washington right now, even though the disparity between Derek Carr and Taylor Heineke is pretty massive, I still think you have to go with the running game and the defense. I'm leaning Washington here. I won't make a play on it, but since we are on you know, the Las Vegas Raiders network here, I have to at least go out here and, and kind of talk about it and I'm sitting here and I'm saying, Raiders fans, you, you might win. And if you win, I think, I think if the Raiders win tomorrow, I think you can start talking about Raiders' potential playoff again. If they lose tomorrow, I think all of a sudden you go, yep, the Raiders are turning back into the team that we thought that they were. You mentioned Washington and the defense picking it up in the last month. They've given up 17, 19, 21, and 15. So... A far cry from earlier in the year where they're putting up, giving up 30 spots all along the board. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with being healthy, obviously. But how about this scheduling quirk, Tom? So after tomorrow's game here in, in Vegas, it's all NFC East divisional match, divisional games the last five weeks. Cowboys, Eagles, Cowboy, Eagles, Giants. What generators spit that schedule out? That's terrible. Yeah, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> you know? It is definitely ridiculous. They're all basically just playing each other. I think that the schedule makers were like, well, all right, well, we know this is the NFC lease. Let them just battle it out for the last month and kind of come up with some winner that will go home in the first round. Yeah, just uh, the worst is it's Cowboys, Eagles, Cowboys. You know, it's literally back, back, back and forth, back and forth. So, okay, we'll move on then. Jacksonville. In L.A. to take on the Rams, another double-digit here, Tommy. So the Rams now 13-point favorite in this game tomorrow against the Jags. The Jags 2-9, and nine, and the Rams hanging around 7-4, and four, trying to make a run at the, the NFC West title. But I think more importantly, just firm up the playoff spot here. They've lost three in a row. You know, I was kind of uh, going to go to go all-in here on Jacksonville, getting the 12-and-a-half of the 13 but James Robinson is probably not going to play, and they have to run the ball effectively. Carlos Hyde isn't going to do that. Um, I think the Rams are broken. I, I didn't buy into the Rams early. I didn't buy into the Rams when they eventually started signing guys. I didn't buy into the Rams when they signed Matthew Stafford. I didn't buy into the Rams when they got Odell Beckham. I didn't buy into the Rams when they got Von Miller. And I'm certainly not buying into them now. 
you can look at Matthew Stafford, and we all applaud what he does. I can see his talent, obviously. Uh, you can see that he is a much better quarterback than Jared Goff. But, Tim, the, the Vegas Lions for wins didn't move that much when it went from Goff to Stafford, right? And a lot of that had to do with the, the idea that people go say, well, Matthew Stafford played in Detroit never had anybody. He never had any receivers. Really? Okay. I thought he had Megatron for a while there, right, which very potentially is the best receiver that we've seen after Jerry Rice. I thought he had Kenny Galladay, who in Detroit, before he went to the Giants, and he you know, has been banged up. Hey, he was a pretty good top 15 receiver or so as well. So he had some weapons. Matthew Stafford in his career has never beaten a team five games over 500. I know that sounds like a weird stat, but that means he doesn't beat good teams. Well, he was with the Lions. He's with the Rams now. Still doesn't beat good teams. Doesn't beat good teams in pressure. Doesn't beat good teams uh, You know where you look at and you go, it's kind of a toss-up game. No, he doesn't win those games either. He is a guy that I think we all know what he is. He's a second-tier quarterback. We're loving talking about tiers today. He's a second-tier quarterback. I don't think he can elevate this. He needs everything around him right. And, oh, by the way, that includes his health, which has been in question for a little while. Matthew Stafford is clearly not healthy. Matthew Stafford hasn't been healthy for a lot of this year. Matthew Stafford, looking at what he is, he, everything needs to be right for Matthew Stafford to win. Look, I don't like the guy. I don't like Aaron Rodgers, okay? I don't like the guy at all. But Aaron Rodgers deals with the, the, the toe and the arm and the problem and the weather and the this. He deals with it, and he's still able to sometimes win. Tom Brady deals with having, you know, cornerbacks be wide receivers and stuff. They deal with it. They, they're kind of quarterbacks that can elevate teams. Matthew Stafford can't elevate his team. Now, Matthew Stafford can win when everything is falling into place. But when things aren't, well, like right now, he can't win. Now, I think he's going to have a pretty decent game tomorrow. But he is missing Daryl Henderson. Potentially Odell Beckham will be out. You know, you start to look at this team and you go, oh, you know, Stafford might be a little bit banged up. This is a spot where I'm looking at the Jacksonville Jaguars and I'm saying, you might be able to keep this close, but how can you have any confidence in them on the road with no James Robinson? Look at their division rivals in this next matchup, San Francisco at Seattle. The Niners on the road, three, three-and-a-half-point favorites. So they've won three in a row, the Niners have, Tom. They've, they're four and one on the road this year. And Seattle, just uh, look, everybody's saying it. It's the end of an era, right? I mean, you've kind of just seen it just fall apart with Russell Wilson being hurt. And now that he's back, he hasn't performed well at all. Russell Wilson right now is the worst quarterback in the NFL that has started a game on third down conversion. Just let that sink in, okay? Because <laughs> think about the quarterbacks that have started a game this year. Russell Wilson is the worst. Russell Wilson looks totally lost. There was a play last week that you look at. And on the left side, he went to or tried to force it into D.K. Metcalf about 45 yards downfield. We're sitting over the middle of the field waving his hand and not a defender within 10 yards of him was a receiver just wide open. The next play, almost an identical play, a receiver not within 10 yards. Russell Wilson used to not miss that. So people going, well, he's, we, you know what? He's, he's not healthy. Maybe he's not, but he's also trying to force it downfield. But Tim, it all works because uh, all the, the offense that they have all works because of the running game, which they don't have Chris Carson and they don't have a running game. Last week, Russell Wilson had two rushes for 16 yards and led the team. <laughs> right? So this isn't exactly only a Russell Wilson problem. 
Uh, but Russ is forcing the ball. He's trying to push it downfield. He's going to for the home run hero play. Things that you never, ever, ever saw in Russell Wilson in his career. Russell Wilson is just completely broken. And the conversation begins with, Russell Wilson doesn't lose at home. Seattle's tough at home. Well, Seattle's got one win there this year, and it was against the hapless Jaguars. They have one win in Seattle. This is a different Seattle team. Don't look at past history. Look at now history. I have made money betting against Russell Wilson since he's returned. And I'm telling you now, it looks like, uh, how do you not take the Niners tomorrow? Well, the only reason you don't take the Niners tomorrow is because their number one offensive weapon has been Debo Samuel. Samuel's not going to play tomorrow. Don't think that that's not going to make an impact. I know Debo Samuel might not be a household name, but he should be. He's that important to the offense. He's not playing tomorrow for San Frank, which makes me hesitate. How about this one? Black and blue rival matchup, Baltimore-Pittsburgh. Always fun when these teams play, Tom. And we got in Pittsburgh for this one. Baltimore is a four-point favorite. Coming off an ugly win against the Browns on Sunday night football. The Steelers, even uglier though, Tommy, just lambasted by the Bengals last week. Here we go. Four and, a, uh, four and the total for all you under-betters, 44. Oh, here's, here's where I plug my, my stuff here. T- tomorrow morning on Wanna Bet uh, with Tom Barton and my show, nationally syndicated show that I have, Ryan Shazier is going to join me. I'm going to talk to him about this game and, and his new book that's coming out. So you guys take a look at that. Uh, take a listen. That should be fun. Um, but, yeah, Tim, look, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, the, the Ravens look terrible. I, I don't know what happened to this offense. The minute I finally, after all these years, all these years at Louisville, all these years in Baltimore, I've been saying, you know what, Lamar Jackson, that guy's a pretty good running back, right? And, you know, and all of a sudden I start applauding him. I go, yeah, you know. And he's doing some great things. I love the fact that he's got his eyes downfield. He's looking at Bateman, and he's looking at, at Andrews over the middle of the field. And now he got a guy like Hollywood Brown that really was putting it together. The minute I started complimenting him, uh, all of a sudden he went back to running Lamar. And that's what he's been now, running Lamar. Me and you are constantly texting back and forth and screaming, go to Andrews. No, 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 they don't go to Andrews until the third quarter, right? I mean, they don't even t- attempt to go to Andrews until the third quarter. It's bad play calling. It's going back backwards to the bad Lamar, which can burn you against Pittsburgh. But COVID rears, rears its ugly head, and T.J. Watt won't play in this game. Pittsburgh is still banged up all over the place. Big Ben announced this week that this is going to be his last year with Pittsburgh. So you don't think that that's going to have an effect here. And to in order to be you know, effective, Pittsburgh has to run the ball. But you can throw on Baltimore. You can throw all day on Baltimore. But you can't run on them. I, I have to like Baltimore, but Tim, I cannot go out there and lay money. Not with what the offenses that I've seen over the last three weeks. Not the Ravens. Not in this spot. You know, I, I mean, I know they're your team, and their offensive looks bad. Not not happy with it. I think I summed it up last week when I said it was ugly, but a win's a win. Problem is, you know, false wins. They don't they don't mean anything in the playoffs, and you cannot to have an offense like that going into the playoffs. This matchup, it, look, it's rivalry. It doesn't matter who's on top or who the worst team is. They, they always seem to, to just find a way to be close. So I think the number's kind of where it's supposed to be. I'm just going to watch it, and hopefully Pittsburgh does not win this game. It'll really upset me. But thankfully, we're not on the air tomorrow night, Tom. Yeah, there might be some cursing on the air tomorrow <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Brian better have the, the delay ready if that was the case. So um, two left, Sunday nighter, AFC West, Denver, KC, the Chiefs, nine and a half point favorites. Tom, they are seven and four, a game up on the Chargers, Broncos, and the Raiders in that division. So a chance for Denver to pull into a tie if they can win this game. But you and I both know Andy Reid on a bye. This is the situation we fall in. The Chiefs have won four in a row. Well, not only Andy Reid on a bye, Tim, but all of a sudden it's not only just Andy Reid on a bye, it's also, wait a minute, what about 7-1 and one Patrick Mahomes off of a bye week, right? I mean, yeah, look, the Chiefs are going to win this game. Everything's just in their favor here. Off of a bye week, off of rest, at home, uh, Mahomes playing much better going into the break, everyone kind of getting a little bit healthier. And I think that that was a, a big component of all this is that they needed time to kind of reassess the offense, right? Everyone started to play that two-deep zone. And Patrick Mahomes, who, you know, with a big giant grin, told everybody, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to read defenses. Yeah, well, that was obvious. Patrick, thanks. You know, it was obvious in the Super Bowl as well. Well, now – you get, you get an extra week to sit back and start saying, okay, they're taking the two deep zone. Just give them what you have over the middle. Denver's defense has been playing really well. Von Miller left, and everybody thought that they were going to go into the tank. They're playing really well. Patrick Sertain is a player, man. Oh, this kid is fantastic. And you're starting to watch a defensive-minded coach coach up his young players, and they're starting to, to get a lot better than we, I think, than we all thought. You start to look at their receivers and they're locking up their receivers long-term. And their receiving core might be the best in the NFL. The Cincinnati probably has a lot to say about that, but you look, and, and so does Tampa Bay. But you look at the, how deep they go, four or five. When you're talking about Patrick and Hinton are your four and fives, Judy and Sutton, I mean, all of a sudden you have that, but you also have Gordon and Williams. This is a dangerous Denver team. Now, I will not bet against Andy Reid. I will not bet against Andrew Reid off of a bye week. I'm not betting against Mahomes at home in Kansas City. I'm not betting against any of that. But I have a problem laying near double digits. And, again, a divisional matchup in prime time, at least this one's not on the road, but against the Denver team, I think is really, really dangerous. And you know something that uh, we've been talking about for years, Tim. You don't bet against Teddy Two Gloves, right? You just don't. Teddy Bridgewater as an underdog is just absolute money. Teddy Bridgewater as an underdog, Trump, Andy Reid, and Patrick Mahomes off bye weeks. It really is it, the battle of against the spread darlings, right? The battle of the guy, the battle of the trends that make you money. So that's what you do. You take, you know, Kansas City money line, and then you take the <laughs> you wait till the night because everyone's going to bet that up to ten. So you take Kansas City money line, you wait till you get the plus ten, and you try to middle it out. Free betting advice from Tom Barton Sports. That's terrible betting advice. Don't take the chance <laughs> on the money line. <laughs> All right, we'll look at the Monday nighter since we are off tomorrow night. Huge, huge game in the AFC East. New England, 8-4, first place. Buffalo right behind them, a game behind. And the Bills, two and a half. You can get two and a half, Tom, in some places at home against Billy Belichick and the Pats. Oh, man, this is uh, one of those games, Tim where as a sports better, I'm just telling you, just sit back and watch it. Just watch this game. I think that the conditions are going to be as fun as we've seen. It's supposed to be a lot of snow. It's supposed to be some wind. It's supposed to be nasty. It's supposed to be 20 degrees. Uh, it, it, everything is going for them. Now, look, 
everyone's talking about the six-game winning streak by Bill Belichick, and it's impressive. And you know how I feel about that. But this is Buffalo's time to be Buffalo. Buffalo has the elements, the crowd, the stage is set for Buffalo to impact their will. Now, Bill Belichick is 25-5 and in the last 30 games against Buffalo. Yeah, he kind of owns that, right? But Buffalo won both games last year. I think Buffalo wins this game. And I'm giving you my assessment and telling you right now, I'm not betting this game. I think Buffalo wins. I think Josh Allen's legs are the difference. And as much as, as, as we are reaping and just heaping Mac Jones with applause and adulations, this is the first time he's actually had to deal with going outside. Remember, he played in Alabama. He's got to go outside, bad weather, his first real primetime game, his first under-the-lights kind of big-time divisional matchup moment late in the season. It's a lot of firsts for Mac Jones. And Josh Allen on the other side as the one intangible that, that is just something that Belichick is going to really have to con- try to contain, and that's his leg. And right now, I'm going to give the edge to the Buffalo Bills. They're at home, and I think the weather helps them. Heatwave sports free plays on the NFL season, Tom, 15-9 and nine through 12 weeks. Who we got tomorrow on the free winners? Well, Tim, you know, I, I was going Dolphins all the way. I got the Dolphins at two and a half, though. I can't give the listeners minus six and a half if I got them at two and a half. It's just not fair. So I'm going to go a little bit different here, and I'm going to give you a team total. The Bucks are scoring 30 tomorrow. Um, I think Tom Brady absolutely lights it up. I think that they go absolutely crazy. They want to make a statement. They are on the turf. They can absolutely humiliate this Atlanta team that just does not get after the quarterback. They are dead last in the league, 31st in the league at pass rushing the quarterback. They don't get after him. Brady's going to have all day to sit back there. Tampa Bay gets over 30. Over 30 for the Bucks for Tommy. Here we go, Tom. The Timmy teaser, another winner last week. I, I know you've been trailing me, making some some uh, extra profit this year. We've, we've done really good on the, on the Timmy teaser. So th- this first one, I, I think, it, 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 for me, it's a given. And I know everybody loves the Chiefs tomorrow. I love it. I love it even more at minus two and a half. We're going, you know, on the seven-point swing. So essentially, we just have to win this game. And we, I mean the Chiefs. Reed off a bye, Mahomes off a bye. Yes, I know we just talked about Bridgewater's prowess as uh, a betting on him as a dog. It's just this is, a, you know, we've, we're looking at where the Chiefs were. Well, they won four in a row. They get a bye week. Reed, Reed just, look, we just saw what Denver did to the Chargers last week at home, right? Now they got to go out to KC and play. It's just the rest is going to mean a lot this late in the season for me. So I don't know about the nine. I love the two and a half. So give me the Chiefs two and a half. And for this for the second leg of this seven pointer, we're gonna go uh, Chargers, Bengals over forty three Tom. I think they can both get twenty one, twenty twenty two. Gets us over the total. Oh, I love going with a total there. All right. We went a little exotic tonight. I like it. <laughs> I had you uh, I had you pegged for a three game teaser, ten point teaser. Going Bucks, Colts, and and Casey. That was my guess on the Timmy teaser. So you're doing the three gamer, taking all the big favorites and just saying, you know what, they're all going to win, even though they might not cover. Happen, but um, I, I 
I hate it. Just something about it. You know how the NFL is, Tom. Just that the sure things sometimes never happen. And I think either it's Indianapolis or it's Tampa that's gonna the, to ruin that. But it wouldn't surprise me. I just um, I like KC the best Tampa out of those. Tampa could lose like Tampa could lose thirty eight, thirty five. That's fine. Yeah. Well, they could. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I don't know if they win, just, just score. Just score, baby. That's it. You need 30. So The new, the new motto. <laughs> the motto of every overbetter ever. Tom likes the Bucks thir- over 30. Timmy Teaser is Chiefs 2.5 over 43 in the Bengals and the Charger game. Book them. Those are your winners for this week. Tom, tell everybody not only about the website, the YouTube, the new podcast. I, you, you fill up your days, my friend. Yeah, actually, uh, just launched this week. We have two new podcasts. It's on the Believe Podcast Network, B-L-E-A-V. Uh, Believe Podcast Network has it, just got uh, fantastic, fantastic athletes and celebrities on that uh, program. So really good stuff um, that, that we're doing. And I, We have the Believe in Betting on the Podcast Network. So you guys can go check that. And Believe in the Ivy League. For anybody that likes my Ivy League stuff, uh, believe in the Ivy League. Look, I could use every subscribe that I get. Um, you know, even if you don't want to listen, just go to the page and hit subscribe, and I'll be fine with it. Um, and and the same thing with my YouTube channel. I, we're trying to boost that up and try to get. It. I got over 700 um, subscribers now, so I want to get over that thousand mark. It's Tom Barton Sports. Go check it out on YouTube. It's Tom Barton Sports. I'm throwing up about 10 minute videos on different subjects, uh, a little bit something different than you hear on the radio. And then tomorrow morning, guys are listening. It's Sports Garden Network. It's on Wanna Bet. That's the show name, Wanna Bet with Tom Barton. Ryan Shazier is going to join me. So real inspirational. I can't wait to sit down and uh, kind of talk it up with Ryan and see his thoughts. It's going to be his the first thought that about the Big Ben. He hasn't done an interview about anything since then, since this was announced. So can't wait to get his thoughts on Big Ben tomorrow as well. Tom, have a great sports week, my friend. Keep keep winning on that hockey over at Tom Barton Sports as well. Yeah, guys, TomBartonSports.com. We are going to have five plays tomorrow, three NFL plays. You guys, get, get jump on board. You're going to get it all. Basketball, NBA, college, and pro football. You'll get the championship. If you sign up today, you're going to get all the New Year's Day games. You're going to get all of it for 30 full days at TomBartonSports.com. Go check it out, guys. TomBartonSports.com. All right, Tom. Good luck tomorrow, my friend. Thanks a lot. Have a good one, guys. Tom Barton, TomBartonSports.com. And until next Saturday night, for Brian, Tim Unglesby, let's have a great sports week. We'll talk to you next Saturday right here only on Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Have a good one.